Well, thank you for that beautiful music. Jesus really does care. What I'm going to do for the next two Sabbaths is share my testimony. Today I will talk about basically from sin to the Savior, from the old life to the new life. And then next week I will talk about how I came into the church community. I grew up in a place called England. Ever heard of England? I heard they once tried to take this country from you, or thought that they owned it. I come from a place called Manchester, which is four hours north of London, near Liverpool, where the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and all those good groups come from. And in Manchester, I grew up in a non-Christian home. What does that mean? Well, that means that my mother and father didn't go to church, they didn't read the Bible, we didn't talk about God at home. Sometimes, so my parents could have a nap, they would say, why don't you go to Sunday school? And sometimes I would go to Sunday school, and sometimes I would pretend to go to Sunday school and go play soccer. I remember there was one time in Sunday school when probably all the teachers in those Sunday school classes We're going to invite the young people to give their hearts to Jesus. And so as the teacher invited these young children, we were very young at the time, uh, I'm not sure how old, maybe eight or nine years of age, something stirred within me when the teacher gave us this invitation. Stay behind after class if you want to know about Jesus. And so I stayed behind, and all my friends left. And I knew the implications of that, Uh, the questions they would be asking me afterwards and how they'd probably be laughing at me and so on. But that didn't seem very important to me. I was always someone that would break away from the crowd if I needed to. And I'm sure that I prayed the same prayer as the teacher and did everything the teacher asked me to do in giving my heart to Jesus, but I was not born again. I was not converted. I don't know why. Many of these things are mysteries, aren't they? I'm sure I was sincere. But I ran home and I was the same old person as I was when I went to the Sunday school that day. So that's about as close as I came to Christianity and to Christ as a young person in Manchester, England. By the time I was 15, I was leaving school. Couldn't wait to get out of that place. Delighted to take my school books and burn them at the school gates. Freedom. No school, no homework anymore. In fact, I'd basically had no education since the age of 13 because I'd found some clever way to get into a different type of school that gave us very little homework and I was like two or three paces ahead of my parents. They were pretty clueless at what I was up to. So I didn't really learn very much from the age of 13. But when I left school at 15, I was given a Bible. Now don't ask me why a public school system that was so secular would give us a Bible. Maybe Gideon or someone had donated them, I don't know. 
But I was given a King James Bible, a very plain-looking Bible, and to me it was a book that I couldn't burn, so I put it on my shelf. And it would gather dust there for five years. Meanwhile, I'm working as a printer, as a compositor, taking a six-year, signing a six-year contract that I would be trained to be a printing compositor. Those are the ones that set the type up, or they did in those days. I'm sure it's done very differently today. And it was supposed to be a good trade, but I found it really, really boring. And so after two years, I was ready to spread my wings and fly away. And so I got into an argument with the manager, and um, of course I was in the right and he was in the wrong, and he fired me on the spot, which was great because that's exactly what I wanted. I needed to get away and get out of this contract, and so I came home and told my parents, well, I've been fired today, and oh, by the way, I'm leaving home and I'm going to Jersey. Jersey is an island between France and the south coast of England. Many wealthy people live there because the taxes are so, so little. And young people from England would go and work for the summer or work for a short period of time. So my friend said, let's go to Jersey. So four of us just jumped into a car and off we went to Jersey. Pretty clueless about what we were to, to encounter there. While we were in Jersey, I would be doing any job that would come along. In Manchester, I lived for the pubs, I lived for the nightclubs, I lived for the discos. I couldn't wait to get home from work and go out on the town. And it was exactly the same in Jersey. I was driven to party. And most young people like to do those things. But whatever I tried, it never satisfied. It was never quiet enough. And of course, really what I needed was God. But how do you find God? How do you get to God when really all you know is this secular lifestyle? Never read the Bible. Pretty clueless about Christianity. Yes, I'd worked in places where Christians would argue with one another and wouldn't really draw me into the conversation, and there was nothing really attractive there that I would be interested in. So I lived in Jersey, did any job that came my way, and then the group, we had about 20 of us there, the group, some of them would break into jewelers and be stealing and thieving and so on, all sorts of things. I didn't do, do those really bad things, but uh, some of my friends did. That's how they'd live. They'd go through customs with watches all up their arms and somehow never get, get caught. Um, anything just to make some money. And then, of course, you know where the money would go. That would go on the booze and the alcohol and so on. So after a while, I left Jersey, and I tried to settle down in Manchester, and I couldn't settle down. At that time, some of my friends were getting married, and the group was breaking up. And so I went to Torquay on the south coast of England on my own. While I was in Torquay, I started dating a girl. 
I think Cecil knows about this, but I'm not sure she knows all the details. Cecil's my present wife. So I started dating this girl called Linda, and she worked in a hotel. And she had three friends, and when those four ladies would get together, they would like to play with the Ouija board. I think most of you know what the Ouija board is. It was one of the best-selling games in North America at one time. So, as, so they drew me into doing this Ouija board with them. And I had dabbled in that a little bit some years ago in Manchester when I was with these boys that were older than me, and they were, said, let's try and do it. And so we did, and we giggled, and we laughed, and um, didn't really take it very seriously until the glass moved off the table on its own and smashed on the floor in about the only place in that room that it could break because there was fitted carpet everywhere, and it just freaked us out. I think I was probably about 16 at the time, and we just all ran into the kitchen giggling and laughing and this nervous laughter and didn't quite know what to do. Um, That was my first taste of it, not taking it very seriously. This time with these girls in the hotel, it was much more serious. And what we found, I don't fully understand it, if we excluded certain people from this group, this glass would really take off. And so we ended up with myself, my girlfriend, and the daughter of a spirit medium. The three of us have our fingers on that glass, and that glass would move. And I mean move. And spell messages out that were absolutely amazing messages. And I think at this point in time, I'm starting to believe in the possibility of the supernatural. In English society where I come from, and to some extent in North America, though this country is an anomaly because you do have a lot of religion here, um, But in a secular society, the material is everything. If you can see it, if you can feel it, if you can touch it, that's the world of reality. There is no spiritual world for these people. And of course, that's pretty much what I grew up with. But now I'm experiencing something that maybe I cannot explain in a rational way. And I'm starting to believe in the possibility of the supernatural. But how do you know if it's good? How do you know if it's bad? At this time, I'm not using, I'm not even thinking of terms like God and the devil. It's good and bad, good and evil. One of the things that probably clued me in, because of course there's no Bible at this point in time to be reading, one of the things that clued me in, some of the messages were not accurate, just a few, and that really bothered me. And I must have had some absolute idea about truth that if this was a good force behind it, a good force would not send some messages that were not true. So that really troubled me. I broke up with this girlfriend and ended up back in Manchester. And, as, and now I'm 20 years of age. So I've basically been searching and asking the hard questions, the big questions of life. How did this world begin? Why am I on this planet? Is there any purpose at all? 
And I think most people at some point in their life ask those kinds of questions. Don't you think so? And I know I certainly did, but I didn't have answers. No answers, lots of questions. I had friends that died on drugs at 17 years of age. One friend was called, same name as me, Terry, and they found his body in an abandoned building, overdosed on drugs. And many of them would just take these drugs just so they could stay awake all night. Why did they need to stay awake all night? Because they were dancing through the night. And I wasn't into that kind of stuff. Yes, I would go to the nightclubs and the discos and the pubs, mainly to drink or pick up uh, some girl. But I was never really into I think the only time I smoked, smoked marijuana, I just puked. Just threw up. I had a belly full of beer, and then this friend tried to get me to smoke this, uh, this joint with him, and I just threw up, and it wasn't a pretty sight. Uh, there, was, there is no video of this as far as we know, but it wasn't a pretty sight, and it certainly wasn't uh, an exhilarating experience to go through. So I wouldn't touch anything like that, um, but the alcohol, that was, that was what I lived for. Anyway, so I had these friends who had died, and I think, well, is that it? Just living for 15, 16, 17 years on this earth, and then you're dead, and you cease to exist? But again, had these troubling thoughts, these questions, but no answers. And then, at 20 years of age in Manchester, in this little bedroom that I had in this, I was living with my parents in this really small house, a voice spoke to me very, very clearly. And the voice said, read the Bible. Just that. Three words. Read the Bible. And I remembered immediately, in fact, my eyes went straight to my bookshelf, And that Bible, it was almost as though it was jumping off the shelf saying, read me, read me, read me. And I blew the dust off it. Five years it had gathered dust. I blew the dust off it. It was an old King James, very plain Bible. And I started to read. In Genesis, right at the beginning, it's telling me that there is a God in the beginning God. It's telling me who made this world. It's telling me that humans were placed on this earth. And there was a purpose for these humans. It was telling me that everything used to be so good. And then it turned so bad because of sin. Many of my questions were answered right there in the first two chapters of the Bible. And I couldn't wait to get home from work. At this time, I was working with a rough bunch of guys. We were jumping in a van every day. We would come to the base. There might be 10 vans there. We would jump in the van. You'd have a team of five or six people, and we would go to schools and those types of places and just clean up the grounds, cut the grass, tidy things up. And it was, in some ways, it was an enjoyable job. It was a dead-end job. It wasn't going to lead anywhere, but it gave me enough money in my pocket that I could live it up Uh, the nightlife, and I'm still, as I'm reading this Bible, I'm still partying, I'm still going out to these places, but my thinking is starting to change, and I'm not converted, but I'm, I'm 
and being prepared. This is pre-evangelism of the Holy Spirit. And God is preparing me for this momentous uh, event that would happen. But as I'm there in the nightclubs and the discos, I would just be thinking, man, we're all conning one another. The guys are conning the girls, and the girls are conning the guys. And the, the manager, the, the owner of this place is conning us all because he's getting so much money out of us. So my mind was starting to change, and I wasn't enjoying these things like I used to enjoy them. And I'm still doing them because that's all I know. All I know is the old life. All I know is the dead life. That's all I know. And it's the life that I've been told is going to make me happy and satisfied, and now I'm not being satisfied. I'm very unsatisfied. In fact, nothing that I'm trying is satisfying me. Why? Because this is this great, big, God-shaped void in my life. And until Jesus Christ could fill that void up, I would never, ever know the satisfaction that God had created me for. So I'm, I'm at home. I'm in my bedroom. The voice has told me to read the Bible. I'm reading the Bible. I can't tell you how long, probably over months, two or three months. I couldn't wait to get home from work and read this book. Most of it I didn't understand. Some of it I still don't understand, even though I'm supposed to explain it to you. But you know, this is the amazing thing about the Bible. You can pick up any Bible that's out there. Catholic Bible, Protestant Bible, Jehovah's Witness Bible, the Frank Livalsi paraphrase Bible. You can pick up anything. And it will lead you to Jesus Christ. Guaranteed. Even if most of it you don't understand. And so, as I'm reading, 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 it becomes, it's decision day. Just a cumulative effect. Not really any one text. The scripture text that was read today, for some reason, is very meaningful to me. When I try and think back, well, was there one verse? Was there one magical verse or passage that, that did it for you? That tipped you over the edge and there really wasn't. But it says there in that Jeremiah passage, you'll seek me and you will find me when you search for me with what? With all of your heart. And God had put this, this quest in my heart for him. And I really did want to know what truth was. Now that was a very philosophical thing with me. But, but the truth factor was a big one. When these went through this Ouija board stuff, these evil spirits had given me these messages. Why wasn't it all true? Why was that a big thing for me? I only can put that down to, to God. Um, and when, when we're conning one another and we're not straight with one another, why would those things bother me? It's God again. So God was prepping me. He was preparing me. And now it's decision time. So here I am in my little bedroom with my Bible. Don't know a Christian on the face of the earth. Wouldn't dream in a million years of going in a church to find one. The ones I had met in the workplace 
didn't really appeal very much to me. I remember once I worked in the printing factory with a Jehovah's Witness and a Baptist, and they delighted to debate and argue. It was more argue than debate. I think debate would have interested me and probably drawn me in, but arguing just didn't cut it. So I never really knew any Christians um, that I could go to or talk to, um, but anyway, it's decision time. And I said this in my prayer, and I didn't even know how to pray. Do you, do you close your eyes? Do you fold your hands? Do you get down on your knees? And I said, if there is a God, if these things are true that I've been reading, and before I'd finished that thought, I was born again. Literally from death to life, from darkness to light in a moment of time. Now you can say, Pastor Mason, there wasn't much faith in that prayer. If there is a God, if this Bible is true. But there was enough faith to turn the key to get me into God's kingdom. A man called Nicodemus came to Jesus one night. He was a religious man, what we would call a pastor, a priest, a Bible teacher, probably a Bible scholar. And he said, good master, we know that you have come from God. Nobody could work these miracles that you're working unless God be in him. And Jesus just cut right through all the flattery and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. It wasn't a new thought to Nicodemus. Within the nation of Israel, this concept was there when Gentiles would, would join the Jewish faith. But he said, how can this be so? Do I go back into my mother's womb? And Jesus just said, Nicodemus, you must be born of God's Spirit, and you must be born of water. And what I'm sharing with you this morning is being born of God's Spirit. Spirit. This is what gets somebody into God's kingdom. I hadn't done any good thing. My trust level was pretty low. But again, it was enough. See, God reads the heart. We don't have to say the sinner's prayer like I probably did in Sunday school. We don't have to use some kind of formula. It doesn't have to be in a church building with a Christian, with a pastor. In fact, Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes, He shall lead you into all truth. And now I am finding truth, not as a proposition, because most of the truthful propositions of the Bible I never understood anyway, but truth as a person. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And I had this tremendous sense of peace. How much repentance was there, Pastor? You know, I really can't even answer that question. I'm sure I was sorry for certain things that I'd done, but not very many of them came to memory at that time. But God reads the heart. And all over this world... There are people in all walks of life 
who have no Bible. There's no Christian they know of. They've never even heard the gospel. Somehow, some way, God will reach them. He might use you, he might use me, or he might just simply do it via the Holy Spirit and not use a human agent. So now I have this tremendous sense of peace, this tremendous sense of oneness with God. It feels really good to have the new life because that's what it was. Life, not death. I fell asleep. I woke up the next morning, and I was in a different world. Yes, it was still the same bedroom, the same house, the same cycle ride to work. But as I'm going, I'm noticing flowers and birds and trees. They were always there, but in the old life, I never saw them, I never heard them. And everywhere I looked, God is love. God is love. I would see crosses where crosses didn't exist. And I'll tell you, when someone is born of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, if he taught me one lesson, he taught me that all of my hope, all of my aspirations, anything I ever hope to be or ever will be is in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thought I was weird when I was seeing these crosses. And then I read about Malcolm Muggeridge, a, a caustic, a cynical English journalist who found, found his way to Catholicism and went through a conversion experience, mainly through the influence of uh, Mother Teresa, had a tremendous, powerful influence on his life. And le- in, in his old age, he turned to the Lord. And, I, and as I was reading his story, he also saw the crosses. So I thought, oh man, it's not just me. I'm not just the crazy one that saw those crosses. I mean, when I say crosses, I'd look up at something like that frame up there, and I would just see on the edges a cross. It wasn't a cross. It was just some line somewhere, maybe a telegraph pole or whatever. But to me, the cross was everything. So I shared Christ with my buddies at work. Now, when you've been coming in one day, swearing from ear to ear, and very much into the garbage, which uh, a lot of non-converted people are into, and then the next day you're talking about God and Jesus, it's a bit strange. So they thought I was really weird. And then I'd say, well, maybe my parents... No, my parents didn't understand because they're not converted. Spiritual things are spiritually understood. You've got to be converted to understand these things. So maybe my best friend Steve, we did everything together. Maybe Steve would understand. And though Steve was very sympathetic and tried to understand, Steve couldn't understand either. So then, here's this 20-year-old young man just full of the love of Jesus Christ and no one to share it with. That's not a good feeling. Well, go down to the closest church, which was a Catholic church fairly close to where I lived. No, you wouldn't get me in a church with a team of horses. And yet, I was desperate now 
for fellowship. And so I prayed to God, and I said, Lord, you must have people who love Jesus and believe in the whole Bible. And that's going to be our sermon next week. And in many ways, coming to the church was just as an ama- maybe more amazing than even coming to Christ. Coming to Christ gets you into the kingdom. Coming into the church will give you the fellowship and the community and the discipleship that we all need to grow in Jesus Christ. And to get me to the church, God would use human beings to bring me to the Seventh-day Adventist church. As we conclude this sermon, I want to emphasize to you, it's not your Adventist heritage. It's not going to count for one iota of importance on Judgment Day. It's not going to be the many, many good things that you try to do in this world while you have breath in your body. Crowd all the good works in you can, because maybe you'll help someone, and hopefully you'll glorify God. So the good works are important, but on Judgment Day, it won't count for a thing. The only thing that will count is, did you know me? Do you know him? Not just in an informational, intellectual way, like the evil spirits know that there is a God, but do you know me personally? Has your heart been changed? Have you moved from the old to the new, from death to life? This is the only thing that counts. And I know it sounds very mystical and very subjective. And we cannot read one another's hearts. That's why it's so hard, so dangerous to judge one another. But in God's estimation, as Jesus made it so clear to Nicodemus, you must be born of God's Spirit. And I would encourage every one of you, if what I am sharing with you today means nothing, it probably indicates that you are not born of God's Spirit. So make that your very first thing to find out about, to learn about. And I'm sure that myself and others in this church will certainly be more than willing to help you to know Christ, because to know him is life everlasting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glorious life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every every part of it is important. The life he lived here as a man and never sinned. His death on the cross which is if we trust in him, becomes our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. His ascension, ours. His enthronement, ours. And soon he will be coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. The judgment work, as far as our opportunity to embrace Jesus Christ, will have finished. He that is unclean will be unclean still. And him that is righteous will be righteous still. So, Lord, while we have today, may we open to you as honestly as we know how. 
and ask for you to deal with us, Lord, as you want to. Take away our sins. May we receive your forgiveness. Be clothed in the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we long for that day when we will have a body like Christ's body, when we'll be given the gift of immortality. But while we're waiting, may we make sure that we are truly found in you. For we pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.